You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. The thought she'd been pushing aside crystallized, unavoidable. I could die out here. Her stomach lurched as if she'd dropped a thousand feet of altitude in a few seconds. She could become just one more missing person, her whereabouts a mystery to her family and friends, until some autumn day, who knows how many years in the future, when hunters stumbled over her bones wrapped in a Miller's Kill police parka. God, she said, her voice very small in the immense quiet of the woods, I don't want to die. Please help me. She poked her walking stick into a particularly deep depression one of her tires had spun into the snow. There didn't seem to be much more she could add to that prayer unless it was, and let me find the so-and-so who sent me directions to this place so I can throttle him or her. No, that wouldn't do. She braced and stepped, braced and stepped. The 139th Psalm. It had been a dim twilight like this one, the sky dark with rain instead of lit by snow. She had been sitting by Grace's bedside, her sister's hand resting weightlessly in hers because it hurt Grace to be touched firmly. Their father had read the 139th Psalm in his deep, soft voice. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. It had been the last time they had all been together, in the silence and the dark, so far from where Grace had lived and died. She felt an urgent closeness to her sister, a moment of absolute certainty that death was just a pocket trick, that the dead were all around her, supporting her, giving her strength, pricking her with warnings to watch the road, watch the road, a dark shape emerged from the bend in the road before her. Julia Spencer Fleming is the author of the Claire Ferguson Russ Van Alstein mysteries, including In the Bleak Midwinter, A Fountain Filled with Blood and Out of the Deep. She's the winner of the Agatha Anthony McCavity Dillis Berry, Nero Wolf and Gumshoe Awards, and an Edgar and Romantic Times RC Award finalist. Her forthcoming Claire Ferguson Russ Van Alstein novel is Through the Evil Days. Thank you for joining me, Julia. Thank you for having me, Rick. Julia, this is a very interesting series. At its heart, we have a woman who's become an Episcopal priest, and I'd like you to talk about that decision for a main character for a series of mystery novels, which seems perhaps counterintuitive. <laughs> well, part of it is the old saw, write what you know. I am a what we call a cradle Episcopalian, so I felt steeped enough in the uh, culture uh, to be able to convey that sort of mindset really, really well. But um, a lot of it was actually my decision of what I find most interesting to focus on and write about when I'm writing about crime. Um, I'm really not as interested in stories that are about grabbing the bad guy and tossing him into jail. What I find fascinating is uh, the reparative nature of solving the crime. The violence tears apart families and communities, and somehow the broken pieces or the torn edges have got to be uh, knit together again. And who better to do that than a cleric? And that was that was really the genesis of Claire Ferguson. 
that's such an interesting uh, vision of crime fiction. I'd like you to talk about the kind of crime fiction maybe that made you think that that was what you wanted to write. I had read a lot. Um, the The books that really appealed to me before I began writing tended to be very... Um, what am I, the location-based, I guess would be the words, and with uh, a really deep sense of place and community and the way that the, the characters and the crime and the, the, the elements that allow the solution of the crime all welled up organically out of that sense of location. And since the books that I loved dealt with these close-knit communities. Um, and I, I am very fond of amateur sleuths. Uh, I, I, I like my police procedurals well, but I like having, you know, the, the ordinary man and woman giving a chance to, to take a stab at helping out. Um, that seemed to, to lend it to that, that interest of mine. Uh you're a lawyer, is that correct? I am a reformed lawyer. Uh, I haven't practiced now for, oh, uh, probably about 10 years um, when the, the first couple of books did, did better than expected, and uh, I decided to take the jump into writing full-time. Um, it's, a much, it's a much nicer job because I don't have to put on pantyhose to go to work now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I have to guess that the fact that you were a lawyer and involved in law informed your decision to start writing mysteries, and does it to this day inform your vision of how you put together a mystery novel? I think being trained in the law is very useful in that you learn to think extremely logically, and a good deal about legal argument is putting together a persuasive case um, in a methodical way. You have to go from point A to point B to point C, and you can't leave anything out. You, you need to include it all to reach the end and, and be persuasive. And that is actually very similar to what you have to do for the mystery portion of a novel. You have to make sure that all of those pieces are in there, tucked away, um, out of the reader's notice, but so that when the reader gets to the end, it becomes this seamless whole. And, and at the end, of course, the reader ideally says, oh, of course, um, as opposed to, wait, what? How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> it's the, in both uh, disciplines, the import of story is great. The import of story is great. Uh, lawyering is, is functionally storytelling, I, I believe, in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, you know, the other thing, really, that my legal training and, and working in the law influenced me was just, um, I really wanted to get out of it. <laughs> Writing was my, was my escape, um, and, then, and then literally my escape. Talk about creating, uh, you mentioned the sense of place, talk about creating the backdrop and setting for these novels, which is so important to them. It's, it's as much a character I almost as a uh, uh, Claire and Russ. Yes, that is exactly my intent. That that Miller's Kill, this uh, imaginary uh, town in the Southern Adirondacks, is the third protagonist, or sometimes antagonist. Um, I based Miller's Kill on several towns in 
the uh, in Washington County and the Southern Adirondacks. Um, that's a place that my family comes from. My my family settled there in the 1720s, and um, have lived there pretty much ever since <laughs> until fairly recently. And I've always found it a fascinating part of the world. It modern day, it has a lot of the challenges you see in much of rural America. The old um, you know, the, the the factories, in this case, their mills, the you know water mills, um, are gone. They've they closed up starting after World War II, and they were gone by the 70s. Um, the nature-based industries, uh, timbering, things like that, um, those are dying. Tourism is coming in, and new people are coming in, and it's a challenge both economically and psychologically for old-time residents. I find the the clashes that occur in uh, between those old and new and the sort of small town and 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 uh, the, the economic forces that press upon small towns um, to be a very rich uh, vein to be digging into. These books are um, the story of an Episcopalian priest, so that brings a, a significant religious uh, feeling in into the the stories. I'd like you to talk about uh, modulating that, moderating that, mm-hmm. and making that accessible for people who may or may not be Episcopalian. It's There are a lot of people who aren't Episcopalian out there. Um, it's very important that the books and the character be completely accessible, no matter what your religious background or lack of religious background is. What I try to do is create... Claire Ferguson... Um, is a person for whom faith is sort of the basement of the house that is her character. Um, everything comes up from there, and all of her motivations and her her actions flow out of this sort of deep bedrock sense of belief. But being Episcopalian, she herself is not someone who proselytizes. Um, you know, Episcopalians are, are the religion that, that think it's tacky if you talk about God too much. <laughs> um, and the, um, the interaction that I try to show, because there is stuff that she has conflict with her vestry, she has things she's doing for her church, is the really universal human aspect of it regardless of whether you're in a church or it's your your local uh, bird watching association um, people who get together in groups and invest their time and their money and their emotions in it have conflicts and I've had people who have written me and said I can't believe these nice church going people can be so nasty to each other and I always say you never experience the urge to kill uh, until you've sat through a two hour stewardship meeting <laughs> I I find that the religious aspect is something that people find interesting, in part because I do rein back. I'm I'm not trying to write, you know, quote Christian unquote books at all. Um, and in fact, uh, as as a major part of the series is, is that Claire, the unmarried female priest, um, falls in love with uh, the married chief of police, and the two of them have to deal with those those feelings. Um, so I think that that it gives people a chance to see an interior vision of what life looks like to someone for whom faith is, is simply unquestioned, um, without it being uh, 
you know, sort of Bible thumping and and uh, and revival, revival tenting. <laughs> Uh, mixed into these uh, novels are murders and mysteries, and I'd like you to talk about finding mysteries and murders in this landscape, which isn't so big. In a big city, you can have lots of stuff going on, lots of stuff go, does go on. In a small town, your options are a little bit more limited. In the first book, um, one of Claire Ferguson's congregants tells her that um, we have all of the same vices in a small town as you'll find in a big city. And the difference is, is that when something bad happens, we know the person uh, who did it, and we know the person to whom it happened. Um, I, I, and I agree with that. Obviously, I wrote it. I agree with it. Um, I think that, that there are all the, the, you know, the evils that spring out of human nature are the same wherever you are. Um, I've actually wound up, one of the consistent themes about my crimes is using using them to explore um, various social issues that I'm interested in. So uh, we've had crimes involving we adoption, um, uh, the the failure of a small timber company in the area uh, caused by large multinational corporations moving into the area, which affects you know even small towns. Um, crimes about um, uh, of domestic abuse. Um, so uh, all of those things give me a window. You know, I, I can't write about somebody stealing nuclear codes. I'm definitely, <laughs> or trying to assassinate the president. But other than that, I find it's pretty wide open. Well, I'm glad. I think <laughs> there's enough of that room in the thriller world. It interests me that uh, Russ is married, and you have this ongoing romance uh, between him and, and Claire. And I'd like you to talk about the mixing in the romance genre and the mystery genre and how you modulate between those two and take it out of any genre as a result. Thank you. I, I, I try to be post-genre, maybe. Is that like being post-modern? I like um, that. Yeah, post-genre. Yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll use that. Then we'll coin that. And, and, um, what I've done... I started out because I just I like stories with a good romance in them. I, I enjoy that as a reader. And I also found, as I was writing my first book, that there's a certain natural sine wave to writing a mystery. There's the, the in, increasing excitement as the detective, you know, sleuths and finds a clue or has a dangerous encounter. And then you fall off and the tension drops because... You have to recover. The, the The detective recovers from the the adventure or being shot at, or has to um, figure out what the clue means. And so you have these waves of tension and relaxation. But with the second story going on being about a man and woman who found themselves attracted to each other despite their best intentions. I could find that during the points in the book where the um, tension from the detecting and the mystery slacked off, those were the points when the tension between the couple 
peaks because they're together. They're talking about what happened or they're experiencing the moment together. And so hopefully what the reader gets is this kind of ongoing sense of tension and tension and tension. And, you know, what will they find? And will they get shot at? And then, you know, will they or won't they? And what is he going to say to her? Um, I find it fascinating because ultimately writing about uh, crime fiction is writing about human beings. And love is a big part of what human beings do. And I really have been interested in this relationship between Russ and Claire in exploring a kind of very adult, not in the, you know, adult movie sense, but very grown-up problem and and issue where uh, two people who both have vows and commitments putting them in an opposite direction um, find their hearts, you know, have, have fallen open to each other. And how do you fight that? How, what are the level, uh, what's the level of commitment? Um, how, do you, how do you keep the wall up when, um, you know, your hands without meaning to are tearing the wall down? And uh, that's been uh, something that's, that's ongoing through the series. It, it is a series, and you have uh, quite a few books in it, so I'd like you to talk about developing the characters over time and developing uh, the the plots over time and accumulating the history that the books, each book creates, and as you as a writer change and your interests change and your abilities improve. The, the real pleasure in writing a series is the fact that you get to develop the characters continuously. You don't just have 365 pages and boom, they're out. Um, Really, in some ways, I feel I'm writing one long novel in episodic uh, spurts. And in fact, because the ongoing story is, is the relationship between the priest and the chief of police, and their relationship to the town, um, the, to the men and women in his police department, to the uh, to the people of her church and her vestry, that that part, although the mystery, of course, wraps up in every book, um, the story of the people who live in Miller's Kill grows and develops. The more time you spend as an author with characters, the more they reveal themselves to you, to the point where... Uh, if I'm stuck in a place, I kind of sit there and I think, well, what what would Claire do in this? And, you know, when you really get to know a character well, it's like knowing a real person well. You could probably think of someone that you know very, very well, a parent or a sibling or a partner. And um, if you if you imagine that person in a situation, you could pretty well predict what, you know, your parent or your sibling or your partner was going to do. And that's how it is with a character, is you get to, to know them and develop them. And being a series set in a small town, uh, the other aspect that I found wonderful is I've got this, this cast of characters, and um, they move on and off center stage as the series progresses. I'm up to the eighth book is coming out. So in that time, we've had uh, people who started out as very minor characters um, come forward, and we've seen parts of their lives and uh, and a mystery surrounding them. And then they step back. They don't disappear because they're still living in the town, but their, their ability to interact and influence the story um, continues. And that's very pleasurable. And I think it's very pleasurable for readers. They People say they feel like 
um, you know, they're going someplace they really know well and visiting people that they love when they read the book. Well, you're certainly right. It's really fun. That's one of the fun parts of reading a series of books is to go back and find out where the characters are and, and have an intuition of where they're going and the satisfaction lies in seeing them get there sometimes in not. And I'm wondering if you as an author find yourself being pulled by what readers want, by what you want, by what the exigencies of the plot demand and what characterizations demand. That's a good question. Because, you know, I, I, I pay attention to what my readers say. That actually did happen, uh, I would say, in constructing um, a little bit later in the series. When I started writing about uh, Russ and Claire, I really didn't know where the story of their relationship was going to wind up. Um, because the, the chance was very much that they could just... Um, break each other's hearts and and that would be you know the end of it an impossible you know impossible to go forward and um uh i actually considered having um i knew there had to be some resolution it's actually in the, the fifth book of the series um all mortal flesh and i'd considered writing something very realistic where russ and his wife go into um marriage therapy together and they have to they have to find a way to work this out but I was showing up at you know readings bookstores and libraries and people were saying Linda that's Russ's wife Linda must die kill her kill the wife (laughs) very bloodthirsty and people would offer me suggestions well she could you know she could be in a plane crash or she could run off with somebody or or, you know she could uh, she she has a home uh, curtain and drapery business. She could strangle on a curtain cord. <laughs> so um, gradually, this this drumbeat of opinion uh, insinuated itself into me, and I realized, uh, you know, my readers were not interested in reading about Russ going into marriage therapy. They wanted the road cleared so that uh, he and Claire could find some way uh, to be together. And uh, that definitely slanted the way I went forward um, uh, from that. But, you know, I feel that, that in other ways I don't have a lot of pressure because um, I try to push myself and do something different with every book. I've written books. Uh, the one that's coming out um, in November, the Through the Evil Days, is as as much of a straightforward thriller, for instance, as I can get it. It's, you know, Russ and Claire trapped in an icy cabin by a snowbound lake in the middle of winter with killers after them. You know, it's, it's, it's very straightforward. Um, on the other hand, the last book, uh, One Was a Soldier, uh, is this kind of sprawling novel with a mystery in it that is about a group of um, Iraq war veterans coming back home to this small town and Claire is among them because she was an army pilot and she goes back into the National Guard at one point in the series Um, and that was you know I I got to write the book that I wanted to at the time which was about returning veterans so I I have a lot of uh, freedom within it's funny you'd think this tiny small town and and it's a priest you know it's what what, where can you go with that but I found an enormous amount of freedom within that that framework. Uh, It's a mystery these are all mysteries and with with the touch of romance and, and Your main character, Claire, is a priest who is 
presumably conversant in the ultimate mystery. So I'd like you to talk about bringing in that the transcendent perceptions of religious belief into the very non-transcendent world of murder, death, mayhem, crime, and just the shenanigans of that people get up to in, in their everyday lives. Well, I feel the, for me as a Christian, uh, the bedrock of, of the faith is the concept of grace, um, forgiveness, that it is truly never too late, that no one is so far sunk um, that they cannot find redemption. And that, in fact, is an ongoing theme that runs through the books because Claire is looking for that moment. She, in, when she's, she's dealing with people, she deals with some very, very bad people. And not everybody, not everybody finds it because, of course, the other tenant of my faith is that you also have to reach for it. Uh, it's held out to you and it's offered freely, but you have to say yes. And Claire is looking for those moments. And there have been some wonderful times when I've been able to um, work in that, that concept of forgiveness and that, that in the darkest of moments, goodness is sort of flowing out of uh, the creative center of the universe, um, which sounds very lofty as I say it for a small town mystery but that is that's what um, that's what people people live with and you know mysteries people are doing bad things there is nobody needs grace and redemption more than uh, more than somebody who's <laughs> killed someone else <laughs> uh, it interests me that your uh, books even though they involve crime and and murders and and pulling things apart. They're also about putting things together, which I think is a, a, a nice difference. And I'd like you to talk about turning that aspect of crime fiction into uh, something that rem resembles the plot of crime fiction. Well, you do that because, or, let me think how I'm going to phrase this. The, the crime happens to, you know, uh, someone is killed. It's Mysteries at heart always have a murder. Um, so someone is killed, and that affects, obviously, there's a dead person, but there are survivors, there are uh, people who, who loved or hated that person, um, that, that victim had a place in the community, in, in, you know, his or her family, and, of course, the, the, the process of sleuthing involves looking at all of those people um, whose lives intersected with the victim and figuring out, of course, who, who did it, who had the motive, um, how did it happen. But at the same time, the way that I write it, um, what Russ is, is doing is, is figuring out, you know, who did it and uh, getting ready to, as I said earlier, drag that person into jail. Uh, but what Claire is doing uh, from her perspective is uh, finding out which piece of the, say, mosaic, you know, that person fits into and trying to give them uh, an opportunity and spaces to, to get back into the picture, as it were, 
Um, you know, sometimes it's she serves as a bridge between two arguing people. Um, sometimes she just is, as many good clerics are, a, a really good listener and um, uses that to, to bring people together. Sometimes she gets really angry and yells at people <laughs> uh, and, you know, and tries to, to bully them into doing what's right. It interests me the different kinds of belief that we encounter in your fiction, uh, from faith to sleuthing. <laughs> That's pretty much both ends of the rainbow there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's very important to me. Russ, who is the co-protagonist, um, is an agnostic. Uh, he does not, probably an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. Um, he's uh, reasonably patient with Claire's belief because it's important to her. But um, he does not understand how someone could believe in a God where uh, bad things happen. I mean, over the course of the mystery, we see, you know, parents who have who have killed children. Um, and and he, he finds it impossible to reconcile um, the darkness of the world with the idea that there could, in fact, be a, a benign divine presence. And so that gives a really good counterweight. And Claire encounters, most of the people that she encounters are very much like uh, most of, I think, America is today. Um, they're very secular. It's, it's, they might sort of believe, but it's not the big part of their lives. And even the, the people who go to her church, you know, and that's very typically Episcopalian. Um, sometimes there's a lot more to going to church, um, and there's a lot more about finding your community and your friends than it is about actually experiencing the divine. So I, I do think there's a there's a widespread, and it's really important to keep that balance because if it tips, you know, for one chapter too far into the religious, then it, it's it's going to turn readers off. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not there to convince you uh, to become an Episcopalian, though. If you feel so moved, that's great too. <laughs> you know, a, as we uh, read these books. You have a, a big plot arc here, and I'm wondering, do you have an end for this plot arc? Um, the big plot arc uh, certainly originally was, uh, will they find a way uh, honorably and honestly to be together, or will they be forced to part forever in what is sure to be a five-hanky, you know, tear-drenched conclusion of, of the series? And I thought when I, when I started that that was going to be the sole plot arc. Uh, and that when I answered that question, the story would be done. Because story questions are very important. Um, you, you don't want to just ramble on and on. And then I got to that point, and I answered that question. And I discovered there was more story there. there then the story started to become, well, now you've got these two people who are very driven and very different from one another. And um, how are they going to be able to fit their, their practices and their beliefs and their, their you know, prejudices and their, their tempers uh, together and, and manage to work together and um, eventually uh, live together. It's, it's, I, I'm not giving anything away because if you look online, you can read the descriptions <laughs> um, in the, the, at the end of the last book, uh, Russ and Claire Get Married. And so we're dealing with that. 
you have a new book coming out. I'd like you to talk a little bit about, uh, tell us, a give us a little preview and talk about uh, uh, where you think the series is going to go from there. Um, Russ and Claire, as I mentioned, got married uh, near the end of the last book. And they, in the, through the evil days, they're taking a somewhat delayed honeymoon. As a priest, her downtime comes after Christmas and Epiphany in, in early January. And um, they head off to, this is Russ's choice, to uh, a frozen lake uh, with a, a, a rustic, extremely rustic <laughs> cabin um, for ice fishing, which is not really, uh, would be Claire, who is a native Virginian, um, you know, first choice of a honeymoon. But, uh, and of course, trouble follows them, as it must. Um, and the it's a very tightly focused book, which is a reaction to the previous one. One was a soldier had a, a huge number of viewpoint characters. This is very tightly focused, Russ and Claire at the lake, um, dealing with uh, the people that they've they run across in a cabin. And um, back home at the Millisville Police Department, we have uh, two young cops, um, Kevin Flynn and Hadley Knox, who are themselves becoming a uh, an important romantic couple in terms of the reading experience, um, trying to track down a young girl who was uh, missing after her foster parents' house is burnt down. Um, and everyone in the book has uh, a ticking clock to settle. The young girl had an organ transplant, so she has to be found within about seven days and given her medication, or else she could die. Um, the young cop, Kevin Flynn, has been offered a job uh, half the state away and has to decide within a week. Um, Claire is has to decide about whether or not she's going to uh, resign her cure. Um, she's under pressure from her bishop. And uh, most really significantly for the future of the series, um, the town council um, is going to decide whether or not to open up for, for popular vote, um, whether the police department should be abolished. Um, and, uh, you know, they buy into the state police, which is actually something that happens in small towns. Uh, so everyone's on, on tenterhooks. And there's a massive ice storm, and there's no power. <laughs> so, <laughs> I really like putting my people, uh, you know, just crushing them under a lot of pressure and then seeing what happens. It sounds like you have a lot of fun writing these I books. I do, yes. <laughs> It's been a lot of fun speaking with you. I've been speaking with Julia Spencer Fleming. Her forthcoming novel in the Claire Ferguson Russ Van Alstein series is Through the Evil Days. Thank you for joining me, Julia. Thank you, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.